0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network.
1: Museums, cinemas, pubs all open in England at the moment, while gyms and leisure centres remain firmly shut, a sure sign some say that the overall health and well-being of the great British public isn't top of the government's priority list as we ease out of the coronavirus lockdown. We can sit on our sofa with friends, eat a takeaway and then go to the pub. But we can't play indoor sport. Not my words, but those of our latest guest and a great summary of where we are after three months. I'm John.
2: And I'm Michael. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the success of British sport. The men and women charged with ensuring medal success at the Olympics, the Paralympics, World European Championships and, of course, the Commonwealth Games. Their role might also involve increasing participation, fitness levels and grassroots involvement too. In this episode, we'll get an understanding of the process of coming out of lockdown how easy it is to lead an organisation while working at home, and the various distractions that brings. But we'll also find out more about a sport that was invented to be a combination of basketball, badminton, tennis and handball. It's been part of the Olympic Games since Tokyo in 1964.
0: Hello, I'm Sue Storey. I'm Chief Executive of Volleyball England.
1: So, Sue, let's get straight to it. When will volleyball players be able to play again? In this country.
0: Well, that's a really good question, and I and I wish I could answer tomorrow, but unfortunately, we're not quite in that in that place just yet. Uh, we are still waiting for government advice. At the moment, the government advice is that uh, six people can meet outdoors, and they can take part in training drills, and they can meet up no more than six, but to just uh, uh, do those training drills rather than actually playing the game.
1: So how frustrating is that? I mentioned your tweet, your quote from your tweet of a few weeks back when we did see the big announcement that pubs were reopening.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's extremely frustrating for the sector. Um, if you look across the, the amount of uh, people who are involved in working in the sector, uh, leisure centres, sports, indoor sports, and, and as I said there, it's, it doesn't seem quite right that um, you can sit on your sofa with a group of friends but you can't go and get involved in indoor sport. Um, and you know, we, we've done a huge amount of work to get ready for this. We um, have a return to play working group who are meeting regularly, looking at the various options as, as to how we can play our sport safely. Um, and there are some challenges you know, that in terms of volleyball, you know, everybody handles the same ball. So you know, how, do you, how do you ensure the safety of, of the players involved if everybody's handling the same piece of equipment? Well, clearly following the government guidance around hand sanitising, washing your hands, cleaning all the equipment properly, trying to get us in a position where we can play the sport as safe as we can. There's a study been done recently in um, Italy around uh, uh, how close players come to each other during a game um, and their estimate is in particularly in beach volleyball two on two volleyball their uh, players are uh, less than uh, two meters apart for around uh, one minute and 19 seconds per game so it's so a really tiny amount of time for them to be that close to each other so actually when you think about the opportunity um, of playing a game where you move around the court to cover the court there's a, a great opportunity to, uh, to, to play the sport, uh, certainly two on two, and we're, and we're ready. We want to give it a go and just make sure we can start getting people back to the sport they love.
2: We'll come to the, the disciplines in a minute, because as CEO of Volleyball England, you've got indoor volleyball, beach volleyball and sitting volleyball as well. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But what's been the reaction of the volleyball community and what have you been doing over the last three months to keep them engaged?
0: Well, it, they've been fantastic. They, uh, to, to the most part, everybody has complied with all the guidance and um, and are, are not playing. And as much as everyone loves the sport so much, now is not the time to to get out there and uh, and practice the, the shots and, and and get playing the game that they all love so much. Um, but we, you know, we we are ready to, um, to to get back. It's frustrating, but we're ready to play. I think the interesting thing that's happened has been how we've been engaging with that community. Over the past few months, we've done a number of of campaigns along social media. Uh, We started off with a campaign that we called Digging in the Garden. Um, As you'll, I'm sure anybody who's played volleyball will appreciate what a dig is. and uh, so we've we asked the community to come together and show us your digging in the garden shots and it, it's been a, a great reaction the the number of videos that we had posted and i have to particularly mention one from coach Alex who was about six years old who did some amazing coaching around um, and I'm sure you won't, won't forget this his, uh, his approach to coaching was that to do a dig it needed to be pancake pancake sausage sausage so flat hand flat hand two thumbs together and that gave you the uh, the approach of hitting a, a volleyball to dig in the garden so big shout out for uh, young coach Alex there Uh, We then moved on to another campaign that we called Volley Around the World where we were essentially sending a volleyball from uh, one side to the other side of someone's garden and then passing it on to somebody else. And there was a a great set of videos where a volleyball was essentially flying around the world or around communities as it was bringing people together. We're now the latest one we're working on is give us your coaching tips. This is an opportunity to think about let's learn from the community as to what you can do uh, while we're all in lockdown, while we can just do training drills. This is a great chance for everybody to share their thoughts and creativity so we can uh, practice volleyball in a safe way.
2: And before we get on to finding out a little bit more about you and how you ended up as CEO of Volleyball England, when you talk about your community, what kind of size or scope are we talking about? Have you got a large membership? Is there a number of clubs that are signed up, if you like, to Volleyball England?
0: Yeah, there's around 350 clubs that um, make up the community of volleyball um, in this country. And our best estimate, and we haven't got exact figures, we are working on how we uh, increase membership and and understand our community better. Our best estimate is there are around 20,000 people that play uh, volleyball in England, which I think is fascinating when you think that Um, Worldwide, there's 998 million people who regularly participate in volleyball, and it is currently the second biggest participation sport in the world. In this country, it's not quite so big. So that's something that, yeah, one of my jobs is to try and change that long term and get as many people as possible loving the sport that's so popular in the rest of the world.
1: So you started at Volleyball England in November 2019. Talk us through. We, where you were before that, and how that position became yours, and and what you've done since, because lockdown didn't come that that too long after that, really, did it?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. What a what an interesting start to the career of running a sport when you go straight into lockdown and deal with uh, something like the coronavirus outbreak. So I had anything like a traditional um, path to uh, to come in to be C- chief executive of volleyball england um, i worked for many years in the local authority um, and i specialized in emergency planning which actually in the current crisis has been fantastic working out handy. on crisis management very very handy indeed <laughs> um, i then uh, specialized essentially in crowd safety and spectator safety and i went to, i was working for the sports ground safety authority so uh, the organization that looks after um spectators at major sporting events and uh, ha- i worked there for eight years and um had a fantastic time working across all major sports um to offer advice and support before uh, on how to run major events safely before i came to volleyball um and yeah it's it's been a um an amazing opportunity and I'm, I'm absolutely honoured to um, have been given the job to, to run this great sport. Um, I think essentially running a sport is, is having an understanding of the sector, having um, good leadership skills and having the vision and the thought processes to, tr- to, uh, to be able to drive that sport forward. Uh, listening to the community, the people who know bo- about volleyball best are absolutely the volleyball community. And I've been out and about since I started before lockdown to meet lots and lots of people and to see what the community is like out there. And I've learned a huge amount. And I'm hoping now that we've had the opportunity to, to sort of collate all that information and look at how we can drive the sport forward. My ultimate aim is that uh, we improve the sport over the coming years and, and try and make sure that we grow the sport, we get better at the sport, we're more efficient in how we do things and we can drive, our, uh, drive the sport forward.
1: You mentioned the popularity of volleyball across the world and, and slightly less in, in, in this country. I think one of your ch- you know, chief things where you wanted to do when you came in was to, to build a sustainable, self-sufficient organization, which of course is, is funding as well as people playing it and that kind of thing. How tough then is that to do when you are literally locked down at home?
0: It's very tough. Um, it's tough for anybody, as uh, as we all know, working from home. It, it can be quite challenging. Um, but we have the same passion, the same ambition. We all are heading towards the common goal of, of improving the sport. And I think there's two things that I would mention in terms of where, where we, what we can do to try and improve the sport. Um, we are actually working on a new strategy um, and that should be out, hopefully, within the coming months as to how we can drive the sport forward. We've uh, just been doing some consultation around that to try and get the thoughts and ideas of the community. Um, so that's, that's one part of it. But the next bit is how do we move the sport into um, a competitive and sustainable and um, digital era that all sport needs to move into? It's, it's going to be extremely difficult to get any commercial interest in sport when nobody is going to have as much money as they had prior to this. Um, so we need to look very creatively at ways that we can be more efficient and that we can try and encourage sport to, um, to encourage, sorry, commercial partners to come and join with us to help us develop the sport. And I think digital is, a, is an absolute, um, uh, digital is something I feel very strongly about, is a, a, the way forward for all sports. Um, And one of my favourite quotes at the moment is, it's easier to order a pizza than it is to book any sort of sporting activity. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. We as a sector have got to change that. We have to make it easy for people to to get involved in sport. So by increasing our digital footprint and transforming how we provide a service through better digital systems and processes, then that's a way we can be cost less to the membership be more efficient uh, uh, be more helpful to the membership and able to support them in their journey.
2: And you're embracing it clearly because as you said in our communication before recording this is your first podcast so uh, it's (laughs) really good to have you on Great British Bosses from anything foot footy and it's great that you are embracing that digital change. Just tell us the size of the organisation at Volleyball England. I read on the website 15 members of staff and as someone that's relatively new in post if you like, how difficult has it been then during this time with the dog and the children and everybody else's (laughs) dogs and cats and their children as well to keep the levels of communications, that level of enthusiasm and energy going within Volleyball England.
0: It's it's been really good, actually, and and I've got a fantastic team of staff um, who are hugely committed to um, improving the sport. Within the team, there is, uh, well, there was one member of staff who started, um, his first day was the day of lockdown. So he's, he's only met the people he was interviewed by, which is a, an interesting dynamic for a new job. But he's doing fantastically. The whole team are doing really, really well. Um, we've, uh, we have regular team meetings. We've done a lot of work um, with uh, over zoom like everybody else and teams and and different uh, platforms to try and encourage communication we're communicating really really well in fact i've been really surprised and impressed at how everybody has stepped up to try and tackle these challenges um, we it, but the sport actually isn't just run by the 15 people who are based at loughborough essentially it's run by the 80 plus volunteers who give up their time and and uh, work so hard to improve the sport. Like any uh, of the major sports in this country, we we are run essentially by volunteers. So huge amount of time in evenings and weekends on calls with the community, helping them to uh, think about how we can use this time to improve, to be more efficient, to be more relevant, to listen to the community, to think about what's going to improve things for the future.
2: I think that's a really interesting point that you raised there. And it was something actually in our research that, that we spoke about. And that is the involvement of volunteers. So it's not just volleyball, of course, but you've got these tremendously well-funded sports like cycling and athletics and gymnastics who get millions of, of money from U- UK Sport Lottery money. But essentially, at uh, grassroots, at uh, that massive pot of talent potentially at the bottom, it is volunteers, isn't it, that are are the lifeblood of running sport, and are sending those people up the chute, if you like, up that to an elite an elite level.
0: That's absolutely right. You know, and uh, you know, if 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 I look at the 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 picture of the sport of volleyball, I would look at it as a pyramid, and at the top of that pyramid is the elite level, the the, the top teams, the England teams at the highest level of performance. Um, and underneath that is the, the, the foundations of that pyramid. And that's built completely by the clubs. Um, and the work that I feel we need to do as an organisation is really prop up those foundations and support that club structure. So it holds up the rest of the structure that sits above that. So we're working, we're, we're working really hard to try and ensure that the, the club structure, which is where all the players come from. You know there is there, there are no players in any sport who are made through um a, a, an england pathway they are they are they find their sport and they develop their talent at the grassroots level in the, in the many clubs around the country and then that talent is improved upon and the the, the work is done to to really galvanize that talent uh, on the pathways but they come from the the, the the club structure to start with, as do all the coaches, all the referees, all the volunteers, and everybody who gets involved in sport is usually connected, in fact, pretty much always connected to a club in some way.
1: We're going to talk more about the sports themselves in a moment, but we're talking to the CEO of Volleyball England, Sue Storey, at the moment. And Sue, I wanted to talk to you about, lockdown in particular for you because I, I think you told us so you've got twin, twin twins, you've got two sets That's of twins. Right. Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> h- how,
1: how have you coped personally? <laughs>
0: Yes, uh, that, that's my interesting backstory. So uh, people listening will probably not remember anything else I've said, but will say, "Wow, that poor woman's got two sets of twins." <laughs> but now I think I'm uh, the luckiest mum in the world. Yeah, I have two sets of twins. Uh, they are 19 and 16, two boys and then boy and girl. Uh, Less than three years between them. So at one stage I had four kids under three, um, which was, uh, that was, uh, so whenever I come across any stresses or challenges in this job, it was nothing (laughs) compared to having four kids under three. (laughs)
1: On On a serious note though, is there a risk with lockdown where people have reverted to type, where sometimes the more probably mums are looking after the children while, while working? Um, While in some ways the dads have been squirreled away. I'm not saying it's in all cases. It certainly isn't in mine and Michael's case. But is there a risk that actually all the work that sport has done, you've done as a, 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 a woman leader, that we could move backwards in terms of gender equality in business?
0: I would like to think not. I think the, this creates a, a wonderful opportunity to share um, and certainly uh, in my case we work in partnership, myself and my husband work in partnership to, to raise our family um, and you know, we, I've been, uh, I, I have the opportunity to progress my career in the same way as he has the opportunity to progress his career and it's about working together. Um, I'm very, very practical uh, when, I was, when I was younger, um, when, sorry, um, when my kids were younger, uh, it was uh, simply a case of they need nappies changing, they need feeding, they need to do this. So you just get on and do it. And, and that's how that's how I tend to sort of my outlook on life is very much around, right, what needs to be done? Let's get on and do it. Um, I think there's a golden opportunity, actually, for um, for women to be able to step forward and uh and show just how good we are at organizing and being practical and making sure that uh, we, we uh manage to juggle all these challenges as we have done uh, for many years in the past and I, you know and i'm really proud of those amazing women who have uh have worked on their own career pathways and achieved what they've wanted to achieve by being organized, being practical, stepping forward, having the confidence to show that you are amazing and you can do whatever you want to do.
2: And the great thing, of course, is if you look at organizations like UK Sport, Sally Monday is in charge there. You've got a female CEO at Table Tennis England, British Athletics now. British gymnastics, British cycling, as well. So you're certainly not unique when you you sit round that table, which I think has shows that sport has come a long, long way in this country, hasn't it?
0: Absolutely, and um, I have to say the the NGB CEO Forum has been a fantastic resource and so welcoming. Uh, right from day one, uh, my first day was a meeting with the uh, with members of that that group, and it was it was great to be welcomed into that community. Um, and yeah, I I feel as part of that group that we are a team. We work together. We've been uh, we've been sharing so much information over this current crisis and all our return to play plans and has anybody got anything on this have you anyone got any examples of that it's a a great resource where we can all work together they've been so welcoming and so supportive and it's great to be in in a position where you can offer something back to some of the people within that group.
2: So give us a little overview of your sport then volleyball is indoor volleyball of which Great Britain had teams in 2012 in both the men's and women's competition, the only time Great Britain have ever taken part in Olympic volleyball. There's sitting volleyball, of course, uh, which we know from things like the Invictus Games and the Paralympics as well. And then beach volleyball, which I think when you look back at London 2012 and at the time of recording, we're exactly 15 years on from when London won the right to host the Games. Beach volleyball was one of the iconic images of the Games, wasn't it, in terms of its venue. So how do you marry those three disciplines up then in your role?
0: So, yeah, as you say, the, the governing body covers the three disciplines and uh, we, we dedicate uh, as, as much time as is needed to all three disciplines to try and um, help and improve those sports. Um, As you you rightly say, uh, Great Britain have never qualified for uh, the Olympics at indoor. We only received automatic qualification in 2012, Um, but uh, we're still working hard to try and get the teams to the best place that they can. Um, Beach volleyball has been in the Olympics since 1996. And in that year, that's the only time that we have um, qualified for an Olympics. Um, Our pair of Audrey Cooper and Amanda Glover it was an amazing achievement for them to qualify and compete in those Olympics. At that time, there were no beach courts anywhere in the UK, so they couldn't train anywhere here to be able to uh, to, to get to the standard that they got to. Um, we we still have an outside chance of our men qualifying for. Um, for Tokyo but it unfortunately is a bit of an outside chance because of uh, rearranged qualification events and so on uh, there's still there's still a, a slight chance but uh, as I say it is a, a slight chance um, and sitting volleyball fantastic uh, sport and uh, uh, probably one of the most inclusive sports that there is so uh, it dates back to 1956, where it was uh, set up as a rehabilitation sport for injured soldiers and still has a great presence with the military today, as you've already mentioned. Help for Heroes is one of our biggest clubs and uh, Invictus Games, it's part of that. So that's, that, that is fantastic that you know, it has that level of, um, of profile as well. And I think it's also worth, worth mentioning one of our most famous sitting athletes is Martin Wright who sadly 15 years ago today on the 7th of July uh, lost both her legs in the 2005 London bombings and then went on to represent Great Britain in the 2012 um, Paralympics. So uh, what an amazing, inspirational woman she is and and what she's done um, in terms of her own personal journey. I think personally, if I look at the three sports, sitting represents our best chance of qualification, for future Games, uh, future Paralympics, because comparatively, the sitting teams are closer to those top rankings than uh, perhaps the indoor teams are, which unfortunately, we're both men and women are are way outside the top 100 in in indoor at the moment. Um, We uh, are currently trying to put up some more investment into sitting uh, clubs within Within England, we have a foundation, a Volleyball England Foundation, our charitable trust. Um, and that's currently running a programme to help clubs set up a sitting section. And they're offering grants out to our clubs to try and help them um, develop that aspect of what they do. So um, please donate, um, and we'll, you can be sure that your money will go to a good cause to help set up sitting volleyball. And I think sitting has got a particularly interesting and unique place in sport. It really is one of the very few sports, probably the only sport where disabled and non-disabled people can compete at the same level. And what a great opportunity for uh, within schools or within universities for young people to be able to play competitively against their friends who who may have a disability and I think there's there's a lot more that could be done with this sport to try and develop it further and and we hope to be able to do that in the coming years
2: I know there's not an unlimited pot of money and actually the the pot of money for sports probably shrinking as less people play the national lottery for example but do you think after 2012 and the Paralympics and the Olympic Games that maybe A fund should have been put aside to help sports like volleyball and basketball and handball. These kind of sports that, you know, we can play at school in the sports halls to try and and break into that top 100 and get further. You look at sports like taekwondo and triathlon. Their programs have come from nowhere in three or four editions of the games to being fantastic medal opportunities. Should something be set aside, whether that's sport, England, UK sport, to help sports like yours, like basketball, there's a lot of participation quite easy to play we can all put a net up on the beach and have a go at beach volleyball and yet as you say in terms of that bigger picture it doesn't really resonate
0: no um as with anything the more money you have the more you can do however the i think it with we've got to be realistic the current climate i can't see that government is going to be in a position to invest an awful lot more money into sport so sport needs to think about how we can start to become more sustainable in our own right so we have to be really efficient at what we do to try and deliver more for for less money we have to ensure that we get value for money in everything that we deliver so where we're delivering programs and setting up new initiatives we need to make sure that first of all we have the right data and information to prove that that is the right thing to do. And then secondly, we need to make sure that those things are, are the, the cost of those things are covered. Um, it's absolutely crucial to the, for the future of the sport that we're able to be as uh, financially sustainable as we possibly can. Yeah, it'd be great if we could get more money from government to to uh, to get volleyball more onto the map, But equally, it'd be great if... Some lovely, willing sponsor out there who wants to put volleyball into the Olympics would like to come along and offer us lots of lovely money. We'd be delighted to talk to you. But sadly, I, I, you know, that's uh, going to be a very challenging picture. So I'm not sure how easy that's going to be.
1: How much of a boost was it, Sue, though, that Birmingham 2022, the Commonwealth Games, decided to have beach volleyball at the Games in Birmingham, which I'm not sure there's too many beaches there.
0: No, there are, there are no beach courts in Birmingham at all, um, so it'll be, uh, hopefully we'll be able to create a, uh, at Birmingham 22, we will be able to create a uh, an image similar to that image of the Beach Court uh, Horse Guards Parade, which as you say is an iconic image of those games. Um, the venue for the Birmingham Games is going to be just as iconic. And it's going to be a great atmosphere, and I'd certainly encourage everybody to buy the tickets and come along and see the beach volleyball. We're where, very where lucky that we be able to. Unfortunately, that the venue has not yet been announced oh. for where the, uh, oh, I we had an <laughs> the beach will be playing. <laughs> no, sadly not. But uh, what I can tell you is that uh, when we get to close to two years out from the games, that's a really good time to keep your eye on the press.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and just on uh, you know, people who could win medals, um, you know Ellie Austin, Anya Evans won a historic bronze in June 2019, I think. Um, we've got four England players who, who competed at the Commonwealth Games in, in the Gold Coast for the first time. So we, we, you know, we, we could have some success in those games as well, which would benefit the sport.
0: Yes, we have. And, and we're in a, a fortunate position that we've got an, a number of pairs that are, are edging for those positions and trying to get themselves in the best possible place to, uh, to, to secure the, the men's pair and the women's pair for the Commonwealth Games. And we've got two years to, to have a close look and, uh, and see who's going to end up in, in that spot. But what a golden opportunity for them and for the sport to be at the beach uh commonwealth games in birmingham you know that amazing backdrop you can see it now this sort of industrial graffitied city with a beach in the middle of it playing beach volleyball i can't wait (laughs) it's
1: going to be it's going to be amazing and you've just appointed chris jones as the, the team leader that. yeah
0: chris comes with a, a wealth of experience he worked at horse guards parade um, he had a number of different volunt- voluntary roles there um, he was court manager at, at various times and um, has been involved in in volleyball for many many years so he's going to be a fantastic fantastic addition to the team to help us uh, deliver the best possible opportunity for those athletes as they prepare for the games in two years time and then be there to support all the logistics and getting them to the right place at the right time in a nice stress-free way to ensure that they can deliver what, what we hope they'll deliver and that's some sort of podium position.
2: I'm interested in this this venue. I'm going to be looking out in the press for it, <laughs> of course, as you're not going to tell us today. It will have to go some to beat the, the venue on the Gold Coast in Australia. That was pretty iconic Or One on the Copacabana at Rio in 2016. That was pretty cool as well. But I guess at the moment, the key thing is just to try and get your community back on the court, whether that's sitting beach or or indoor volleyball, isn't it? That's got to be the main focus.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. And, and just on the point of Birmingham, you know, it is going to be an iconic and a very, very memorable event. We are working really closely with Birmingham 2022 22 and Team England to try and ensure that we deliver a really fam, family friendly, really uh, engaging, entertaining and fantastic beach volleyball event. So as well as getting the athletes in the best possible position to do well. So in terms of the the sport and getting back to the sport, yeah, we just we just want to get people playing. You know what what's amazed me coming into into volleyball in the last seven months, eight months, has been just how dedicated and how enthusiastic and how passionate the community is. It, it it's it's really. Um, it's really positive to see how many people who come into the sport of volleyball stay in the sport for their entire life. So they'll they'll join and start playing at some stage and then go on to volunteer or coach or referee or whatever it may be. But we, we're really lucky that once people are in the sport, they're completely hooked and they stay for many, many years. And so that's something when, when the, the community is so passionate and wants to give back to the sport, we just want to get out there and start playing again as soon as we possibly can.
1: Well, we keep our fingers crossed for you and wish everyone the best of luck. And um, thank you so much for talking to Anything But Footy's great British bosses, Sue Storey, CEO of Volleyball England. Thank you again.
0: Thank you for your time. It's been really good to talk to you. Sports Social Podcast Network.